Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody. This is another episode, episode number, let me tell you, 105. That's how long I've been doing this. So welcome to today's show. And this happens to be featuring a very good friend of mine who is making his fifth appearance on my show, Jim Mueller, the producer of the South Bay Story Show. Welcome to the show, Jim. Hi, Marcia. So wonderful of you to invite me again. I hope people don't get bored with me appearing on your show so often, but thank you so much. You're welcome. And just so you all know, his first show, it was about lawn bowling, but that was um, – you know, almost five years ago. Okay, now <laughs> joining right here was lawn bowling. Um, joining right. me today, joining me today, are three storytellers, and I'd like to tell you who they are. So I'd like to first welcome Rob Friedrich to the show. Welcome to the show, Rob. Hi, Marcia. Thank you very much. Glad to be here on your show with you and the other guests and Jim. <laughs> Really, and I'd also like to welcome you, Catherine. Catherine Graham is joining us today. Hi, Marcia. Thanks for having us. Of course. And last but not least, my new best friend, Steve Goldstein. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Steve. Thank you, Marcia. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. We're going to hear from the storytellers themselves in just a few minutes. But first, I thought it would be great for Jim to just sort of tell us about the South Bay stories and what that means. So, Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to create this fabulous show. Okay, well, first, a little bit about the show. It's a live stage show with eight people who are telling their personal stories, plus there's a musical storyteller. And uh, the musical storyteller uh, provides the interludes that are the thread that sort of ties all the stories together. So it's a wonderful stage show. It lasts about 90 minutes in a small theater. It's uh, This is the sixth show, and um, so it's been a wonderful experience producing it, and uh, I have so many wonderful stories to tell about it myself. But uh, just a little bit about me. I'm the only child of a single mother who worked full-time. So you can imagine I was alone a lot. Almost as soon as I had any language at all, I made up stories that I told myself. I was encouraged to keep telling stories by what I heard on the radio because I didn't see TV until I was nine years old. Can you imagine that? No! (laughs) I, I think that... I think that tells you how old I am. But anyway, so radio was my, yeah, you know, early early in my life, radio was my storytelling model. 
radio storytelling is just words, and I could put words together in my head too. So uh, that's that was how I got started with storytelling. But you know, storytelling became important to me in one other way, and it was because I was kind of a lonely little kid. You know, uh, my mother worked all day. Uh, I got to know other people by getting them to tell me their stories. Isn't that isn't that interesting? You know, I don't know many little kids that actually do that, but people can be shy about revealing themselves. But, you know, if you're nice and polite, you soon discover that people love to talk about themselves. Isn't that true? <laughs> it's most anyway, definitely people, true. That's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and people people like me because I would listen to their stories. I, I know that's one good. of the many reasons I like you. But what I'd like to know, because God know I I could go on. Um, so how do you go about finding your, your the people to tell these great stories on a on a stage to you know a hundred people? How do you go about finding your people? Well, you know, somehow I don't know whether it's the great spirit or whatever you you know, just the the world itself. But uh, I just kind of uh, run into people after talking for a few minutes and telling them a little bit about what I do. Uh, before you know it, I have seven or eight people who would like to get up on a stage and tell my story or tell their story. Excuse me, and. Uh, <laughs> It's sort of a serendipity kind of thing, and it has been that way through all of the of the six. This is be the sixth show. It's been that way through all of the six shows. I just, you know, meet people. They start telling me their story. I say, "Would you like to get up on stage and tell it?" They think about it a little bit, and they and and a lot of them say, "Yes, I would like to do that." You know, it's very interesting, Jim. It's one of the things, one of the many things that you and I share in common, but. Definitely, like you, um, that's how I get my guests. That's how you get your stage performers. It's how oftentimes I, I, my guests come to me on my show because they're standing in front of me in line somewhere or they're wearing something that makes me think, oh, well, oh, are you a Clipper fan? I'm a Clipper fan. And the next thing you know, it, it engages in a story and and I and it's it's part of my business. It's part of my theme. Conversations plus connections equals community. But right after that, it's what's your story? I even write a magazine article. What's your story, Westchester? So I I totally understand where you're coming from. In fact, some of my friends have been guests on your show, including including musical and speaking performers. So it's it's a terrific connection, Jim, and I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have you join me each year, each year you know, for each season. Congratulations on your sixth. And we'll be talking more about that as the show continues. But what I'd like to do now is we've got some storytellers on the line. And Rob, I'd like to start with you um, sure. and, and get to know you and, and, and your story. So you have quite a wonderful story about learning a very unusual skill, and I thought you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Let me let me start off with that. I was born and raised in New Jersey and have no musical inclination whatsoever. I moved out to okay. California after my father passed away. I moved out with my mom in 1968, and I took maybe a year and a half of guitar lessons, realized I didn't really like 
really like the Beatles that much, especially playing their songs, and I dropped it. I got rid of the guitar. <clears throat> Fast forward to 19, oh, about 1993, my wife Sharon and I were at the um, LA Marathon. A friend was going to run by. So we thought, well, we'll go up to J-Town, Japanese town in, in um, little Tokyo, downtown LA, and, and watch my friend run by. As we were walking there, we heard this just amazing drumming sound coming from, it sounded like far away, and it was. We had to walk several blocks, and we just followed the sound. And when we got there, there was this group of people playing these large drums. It was so loud, your chest vibrated. Um, your ears wanted to bleed from the, the shouting that they were doing. And, and it was just a, a great choreographed, beautiful uniforms that they were wearing and i i just walked up to somebody and i said what is this and the guy turned and looked at me like i was some big ignorant person and said taiko okay that's interesting so we got closer and we finished listening to their performance i don't know if we ever saw my friend run by because we were more interested in the taiko drumming but that's how i got interested in it and then the rest is another 10-year story of, of trying to learn how to play. So describe what a taiko drum looks like. How tall is it? Okay, if you can envision a wine barrel and cut it off maybe you know a quarter from the top, a quarter from the bottom, maybe a third or whatever. And it's we in, in the United States, we actually make, most taiko groups make their taiko drums out of wine barrels. So you can actually, when they're done, see the stave marks that are there. You take it all apart, you clean it all up, um, put it back together, then you finish it, then you skin it. And that's, that's about the size. But let me tell you what they do in Japan. In Japan, they take a tree that is, again, bigger than a wine barrel, cut it down, <clears throat> let it, cut it down to the size they want, let it dry, then they hollow the tree out on the inside, and they hollow, or not hollow, but they uh, remove the bark and, and clean up the outside until they wind up with about an inch and a half of so, or inch or an inch and a half of wood, and that is their taiko drum that they start mm. with. And and that, you can imagine the price differential. Drums from <laughs> Japan start about 5000 and go up to fifty, sixty thousand. 60000 In the United States, they started about three, 4000 go up to fifteen, twenty thousand. 20000 So they're an interesting, uh, interesting instruments, to say the least. No kidding. Well, here's my next question as I'm visualizing this, all right, mm-hmm. because I haven't ever seen it done. I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to know, and that is, do you play it with a mallet? Or do you use your hands? How do you how do you stroke the skin? Okay, we actually use sticks, and the sticks in Japanese are called bachi, um, and they're about three quarters of an inch in diameter, about sixteen eighteen inches long, and you you use those to strike the skin, or you can actually hit the rim of the drum also to make different sounds. And is there? Is it okay? So I'm trying to. So def, this is a percussion. So it's not like you're playing necessarily a melody, as much as you're playing a rhythm. Would that be right? Yeah, I think that would be a good way to explain it. We there's there's a drum c- uh, compared to the uh, an American kit drum. 
Um, it's called in American kit drums. It's called a snare drum. It's a high pitched, usually keeps the dot 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 type noises going. We have that. It's called a shime daiko. And and in Japanese, when you say taiko, in behind another word, sometimes the T changes to D. So it's a, it's not a shime taiko. It's a shime daiko. And that one is our timing mechanism. So that one sets our time. Sometimes it's just a straight dot, 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 dot. Sometimes it has some inflection and things like that. The rest of it, the rest of the drums are more of a, a bassy sort of sound. Think of the bass drum going down the, the parade and you hear uh, boom, boom, boom. Well, the sound mm-hmm. that a taiko makes is don, don, don. It's spelled D-O-N but pronounced with a long O. So that part of it is for lack of a better word, is the melody that we play, and it intersperses with the high-pitched drum. We also have, um, we hit the rim of the drum, which is a ka sound, so think of hitting a piece of wood with a stick. It makes ka, 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 ka sound, Mm -hmm. and um, all of that is intertwined. Sometimes everybody's playing the same beat. Sometimes people are playing different beats. Sometimes people are silent, and we also do a lot of shouting. Wow. Oh, all right. Well, now we know a whole lot about about this taiko. Um, and how did you? Because I, I want to make sure we because we, uh, we can circle this wagon back around. But I did want to ask you: How did you even hear about um, Jim and the South Bay Story Show, and get interested in telling your story? A local library here in Torrance has a monthly story time for grown-ups. It's based on story time for kids, where the librarian reads a book to the kids. Well, this is for grown-ups or adults. And we show up once a month, and and the librarian picks a theme or picks an author, and then just reads a couple of short stories. And there's six or eight of us that show up to this regularly. Well, one month she said, oh, by the way, next month we're going to have this gentleman who does a storytelling show, Jim Mueller, show up, and he's going to talk to us about it. And if you'd like to maybe have a little story you want to send in, here's his email, and he might choose to read that. Well, I had started writing my life story of Tycho back a ways in anticipation of maybe getting it in a magazine or whatever. And I, sh- I sent it to Jim, and he said he'd like to, to use it in the little thing at the library. And I said, sure, that's great. And we showed up, my wife and I, and there was maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 people there several people had turned in their song um not their songs but their stories uh-huh. and and i got to read mine it was 500 words i condensed it from like 2500 words down to 500 <laughs> words and um it was well received and, and jim gave me some good accolades and afterwards i talked with them and i said well you do a show um are you looking for people to to story tell and he goes yeah would you like to do it and that's the way it was the rest is history well, that's that, right. that's that's pretty cool. Um, I want to move over to Catherine now for a moment, and I may come back to you in just sure. in just a second, Rob. But Catherine, sure. so so thank you, the other lady voice on the on the show today. Uh, you have a very interesting title for your show, which is called "Selfish or Selfless." Can you tell us a little bit about the that that story title and why you chose it? Certainly. So my story that I'm going to be sharing on Storytimes is about my experience with my partner, Steve. 
as a Los Angeles County foster parent. I knew that I was always going to be a mom, but I didn't know exactly how that was going to happen. I'm kind of a non-traditional gal. And when I met Steve, we talked about having a family. We were older, non-traditional. We weren't married. And I said to him, I'd love to be a mom. And he said, let's do it. So we became foster parents. And I will be telling the story about how we became certified, some of the highs and lows of that um, relative to what to say and not to say. I um, will be sharing how our relationship was with the L.A. County foster care system and all of the doctors and lawyers that we worked with. And I will be sharing how much love I had for the children that we cared for as foster parents. The title selfish or selfless really is the question that I ask myself all the time when I think about my our, our story as foster parents. Many people say that being a foster parent is a completely selfless act and that we are caring for other people's children. We, in fact, loved every child that came into our house. But on some level, this was my path to parenthood. So the question remains, is being a foster parent or is Catherine being a foster parent a selfish or selfless act? Hmm. How many children um, over the years have you been able to foster? In the four years we were foster parents, we raised four. But we had two children for four years. They came to us. The two children came to us at 15 months and five and a half years old, and we had them for four years. We went from diapers to fourth grade in four years. Were they siblings? They were. Okay. And they were amazing. You know, I I know a little bit about this subject, Catherine. um, Down the street from my house were foster parents. in 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 the, in the case of that family, one of the foster kids was adopted. The, the others were not, um, and they were also broken up in different homes. That the siblings didn't all go to the same location, and it, it's a very interesting process um, fostering, and it's it's so vital and it's so important. And I can appreciate the generosity, and I understand the title. I, I get that, but when you talk about from diapers to fourth grade, that's a that's a pretty big deal. Do you are you do you still have contact with the four foster kids that you did foster? No, the system as a general rule does not allow foster parents to remain in contact with children that they fostered, but that's also dependent on the birth parents as well. So we do not have any contact with the children. Sometimes I do a Google search to see if I can find any tidbits about them, but there's not a whole lot out there. Typically parents that have children in foster care really stay very, very private. But we Mm -hmm. hope that the children, they know where we live. We hope that someday they will reach out to us. We have all of their arts and crafts and boxes Mm. stored well in the garage and we hope that they'll seek us out. We still love them very much, and we know that they love us too. Let me ask you this. Once they turn 18, can they legally look for you 
I mean, is that is that is that a defining a defining age that kind of changes the situation? I think it's less about. I think that there are more opportunities for the children to reach out. I don't think that we can technically do anything until they turn eighteen. So I don't think oh. there are any restrictions for the foster youth to reach out. I see. But once once they turn eighteen, if you were able to some Google search or something like that, you would then legally be entitled. Or could you let the the agency know we would love to be in touch if if these children reach out to the agency, please let them know that we would love to be in touch because I I think about from their perspective, I know in the case of my neighbor, um, what that foster care meant to her. Um, you know, sometimes you really want to reach out. So um, if that's a desire that you have personally, I, I certainly hope that that happens for you guys. What do you, what do you think the lessons that, um, that you've learned through the process of sharing this personal story? Because it is very personal. Well, I think it's been a, it's been a, a really wonderful healing experience to work on my story, and in particular with Jim's guidance, he's been a great um, help in, in crafting my story. I do get emotional every time I read it. I was working on it this morning and, and, and did uh, shed a few tears. So it does bring up a lot of memories mm-hmm. and uh, makes me sad. But in terms of telling the story on Jim's show, I'm excited to tell, um, share a part of me that many people don't know about as I get older and meet new groups of people, this is not something that typically comes up. You know, when you're out to dinner with friends, you don't say, oh, I was a foster parent for four years, five years ago. It's just not something that is a normal conversation piece. So I'm excited to share my story with my community. And I'm excited that I can tie my love for the children that we cared for and my work as a foster parent to the work that I do professionally, I do have been advocating for foster youth for many years, and I am a college financial aid educator, and I'm using my skills to help foster parents go to college. The six risks, the success rate for foster kids going to college and succeeding in college is really very low. So through the conversations that I have in telling my story as a, as a foster parent, I'm hoping that that will bring awareness so that I can use my my experiences and my expertise as a financial aid educator to help foster youth go to college and graduate. Oh, I think that is just, that is a blessing. Um, That is, that's truly tremendous. And the financial aid, is it, is it dependent upon a particular school or is this financial aid Globally, where the, whether you go to a Cal State or you go, you know, to a UC or you go out of state, is it does it matter? It doesn't matter. My, my financial aid programs are for students in any part of the country attending any type of school, whether it be a public or a private or a vocational school. Wow, Catherine, that's that touches me. I, I, I as a parent um and as a f- a friend of mine just recently adopted his foster kid after 2 years and I was at that party I I understand what fostering means and how you've changed the lives of of four children you are to certainly 
oh, be commended. Uh, Steve, let's let's yeah, talk hi. about you. Hi, Steve. Thanks, thanks for your patience as we go through this no show together. No problem. Um, I'm learning a lot. You know, truly, that's what storytelling's all about. That's why I love it exactly. so much. <laughs> truly. So you have um, what some may call an unusual hobby, um, maybe more like an avocation. What, what is that all about? Well, you know, I've always been interested in history, and uh, an outgrowth of that happens to be that I've found myself wandering around a lot in cemeteries as a young boy in Boston, and now even as an adult living in Los Angeles for the last 45 years or so, I find cemeteries to be fascinating places. To me, they're like museums, and every grave is an exhibit with a story to tell of its own. So uh, that became very interesting to me, and I started photographing and researching uh, my findings in the cemeteries, and that led to me publishing a book about 10 years ago, which is still out, and uh, starting a website. The book is called L.A.'s Graveside Companion, where the VIPs R.I.P., and it's from Schiffer Books. <laughs> it was I supposed to be called Beneath Los Angeles, and the, the website is BeneathLosAngeles.com. Oh, that is that, that you know, Steve. That's really um, that is humorous to hear that, and I would agree <laughs> with you as someone that has visited Boston more than once. Absolutely, you cannot go to Boston and not walk the graveyards and realize. I think so, yeah. Uh, it's it's fabulous and it's fascinating and it is, and the fact truly. that you had that interest and you've and you've taken it to this direction, I I love that. I will make sure that for all of you, I will make sure that people know, like you said, Catherine, where you know if people want to know how to get in touch with you, I'll I'll certainly make sure that people can can reach you so that they know how they can go about this. And the same with you, Rob. I mean, maybe there are people that just would think, God, I want to play one of those drums. So we'll make sure that people know how to reach out to all of you. But but back to you, Steve. So um, did you did you sort of play like a, a detective? Is that what your story is about? Well, yes, in a way you become one because uh, as you find certain graves, some of people you know and or you think you know more about them than you do, and then you just start to do research about them and who's buried around them. Are these family members, are these people that knew them? What kind of lives did they have? When did they live here? Where did they live? You know, are, Sometimes you find people that the streets are named after. In any city you go to, in the cemeteries, you'll find the history of that city. The, you know, All history ends up in the cemetery. And all historic figures, and well, for the most part, they end up in cemeteries. And discovering them is just a, a particular thrill, and it just leads to a search, and it leads to finding out more about them, and 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 going back and visiting them again. And every time I go to any cemetery, no matter how often I've been to a particular cemetery, I always always make new discoveries. I always find new graves I didn't realize were there. Suddenly, I recognize recognize somebody that I didn't know was there. Or you just find interesting graves that have interesting epitaphs on them or, or, you know, something funny or an interesting, you know, sculpture or a piece of art or, I mean, there's a lot to discover in cemeteries. I just find them fascinating and, you know, it's free to go in there and walk around and they're beautiful and they're peaceful, Mm -hmm. to say the least. Mm -hmm. Usually in the middle of a bustling city, you wander into a cemetery and you're all alone in a a park-like setting or, you know... uh, some are very well kept, some not so much, uh, but mm-hmm. it's interesting to find out where people end up and how they choose to be memorialized in, in death. Is there a cemetery that you've yet to visit that's sort of on your bucket list, for lack of a better term? 
Well, yes, I've never been to France, and I'm dying to see Père Lachaise. Forgive the pun, but I'm dying to mm-hmm. see Père Lachaise Cemetery. A lot of interesting, famous people are buried there, um, and that, that's some that's a place where I would hang out for a mm-hmm. long time if I if I have the chance. You know, and I haven't been to New Orleans either. And there's a lot of interesting cemeteries oh, in New Orleans that oh, I yeah. really, really need to get down there and visit, and then and also enjoy the food and, and the music there as well. You're, you're, yeah, because yeah, I know you're a musician as well. You made me yeah. made me think of something because I have been to New Orleans, I have been to Paris, but I've also been to Vietnam. Oh. And that I know. Now, what's interesting about Vietnam is that there's just markers. They're they're in the they are buried within their rice paddies. There are no. Oh. There's no like indication. May he rest in peace. May she rest in peace. There are just these markers, and and you would be driving down a country road, and you see farmers and you see people out there working, but it's like, well, what what is that? And it's like, oh, that that's a grave that's a grave marker. And it's like, really? So are they buried where they in, fell? Is that, are they buried where they died? Or how, I, I don't haven't heard think that so. Yeah, I don't think it's where they died. I think it's just like where's the usable space to bury somebody. Wow. I, I I could be so wrong about that, but I'll, I'll <laughs> let you research it. But I I did I did find okay. that I did find that that very interesting. So why why did you decide to share your story on the stage? Well, uh, that came out of getting to know Jim. Actually, uh, <laughs> I got to know Jim Mueller through a, a, a group that we're both involved in called the North Redondo Beach Business Association. I'm on the board of that organization. We meet once a month, and Jim is a member, and we see each other at least once a month in that setting. And you know, one thing we all do is we stand up and introduce ourselves to the group and tell people what we do. And every month, Jim would stand up and say, you know, I, I produce the South Bay Stories show. And aside from that, a friend of mine participated in the show. Uh, John Grant, our local city councilman, was in the show I last year. He's a, very, mm-hmm. he's a very good friend of mine. And um, mm-hmm. so that got me interested. And then when I started meeting Jim and getting to know him, I, I, I think I reached out to him first before he reached out to me specifically. But I, I said, you know, I might be interested in learning more about that, knowing what that is. And so he sent me some information, and I was interested to pursue it and find out more about it. And gradually we got into uh, suddenly I was doing the show and I was writing my story for him and, uh, and and shaping it with his with his help and guidance. That's really cool. And you are a musician. Am I right, Steve? Yes, that is correct. So, you know what, I, I'm just thinking ahead here, Jim, just thinking ahead, you know, storyteller, <laughs> musician, storyteller. I'm just, you know, that's your world. But I'm just thinking ahead, not to mention. We were almost going to include some music in my story. I was going to my story yeah. started out to be a combination of different stories combining cemetery stories and other aspects of my life, including mm-hmm. my interest in music and being a musician. We were going to sprinkle a few songs into the presentation, but over time we decided to narrow it down to just the uh, cemetery stories. And so we took took the music out of it. Well, and, and you're not the only musician on the stage today because you're the drummer here too. And, you know, that would be really cool because, Jim, we've we, you hear me say we? You've had so many interesting um, music, musical. What, what, what? I think the first one I heard was, was Dawn. Was Dawn my the first one? She was. She played the flute. Is that what she played? She was. She played the clarinet, Marcia. Clarinet. Yeah, she was wonderful. And then after her, what, who was next after her? Was it? Oh, it was Corbin. Corbin that played the uh, saxophone. <laughs> yes, that's right. Now let me say that what I try to do is uh, get 
a person who is a really good musician, but may play an instrument that you don't often hear solo. And so uh, that's why when you bring up Corbin, uh, the bass does play solo in jazz occasionally, but you don't hear it really express itself in a storytelling way very often. So uh, I try to get an instrument that people haven't heard solo, uh, but played by a really good musician who can uh, be flexible enough to be creative and uh, and uh, fit into the story show. So, yeah, and this time we have an accordionist. And I'm trying to think, so after Corbin was on, because I connected you to Corbin, then you had one of his friends that was, was that last year then? Who who was who was after Corbin for your musical person? Well, the, the next person was Chase. Um, right. And Chase, uh, played the vibes and and uh he was a great musician very creative uh people just loved him he could play anything on the vibes and it's amazing the manual dexterity it takes to manipulate four mallets on the vibes with two mm-hmm. hands amazing mm-hmm. i think jim you know, I'm obviously I'm a I'm a huge fan and you mentioned that, you know, when you were a little kid you liked collecting stories and, and that's why that you have found that um you know, that storytelling is, is important. But I think what it also does for me is it humanizes us. Somebody's telling a story, whether it's a foster care or it's music or it's your interest, like you said, of, of, of going to the grave sites. Or, unfortunately, I'm sorry that Vicki wasn't able to join us today because she also had a really interesting story about growing up in Long Beach. And, you know, I unfortunately, because of the circumstances we find ourselves in today, um, Vicki wasn't able to join us, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that she wasn't. But we'll, we'll see how we can incorporate her down the road in some, in some format. But when when we think about storytelling and, and the importance of storytelling, Rob, what what do you think is really important about storytelling? Well, Marcia, I I think that the storytelling aspect is a way to give information out, but not teach it. And what I mean by that is. Um, I also teach at adult school. I've been teaching for 30 years at Torrance Adult Schools, home repair classes. I'm a general contractor, retired. Got it. Um, and, I, and I started teaching 30 years ago. I actually started teaching cooking, but that's a whole other story. And then I moved <laughs> into doing home repair classes, um, electric, you know, basic classes. And, and I realized after I met Jim and started working on my story for storytelling as opposed to writing it for a magazine or something, that in the storytelling aspect, I use that in my classrooms all the time. When they, when somebody asks a question, um, you know, about their toilet not flushing, somehow I work a story into that. Well, one time I did this, and then I tell a story, and and it seems to stick with them better. Uh, I've had a lot of friends take the classes. I've had a lot of. Uh, People come to me afterwards, you know, that I've worked on their house or something, and they go, oh, I always remember you telling that story about this. So I think that's it. You can educate people in a fun way. It's relatable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when you when you it really it really is so relatable, and I think that that's 
uh, I mean, when you when you talked about this at the top of the show, Rob, when you talked about story time for grown-ups, I mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, in my, in my community of Westchester, we actually have a writing class, and and it's it's made up primarily of senior citizens. I don't think there are people that are young in this class. I think they're all retired, long-time retired folks that are writing their stories because, frankly, if your family or your children or whomever don't really know your story and your story now is um, on a graveyard that our buddy Steve's looking at, your family may not know your story. And it's, it's important. Now, I recognize there are very private people in this world and there are very public people in this world. I is probably no surprise to those of you on the line with me. I certainly don't sit on the private side of life. I don't think I think everything I know is your business. Um, now there are people that would say that's the truth. Well, thank right, you for Jim? educating it's, us. It's, there you go. It, you know, there is. You, you're going to have to say, could you just like take a breath? You know, I don't need that's to hear That's why I love breath. you, Marsha. That's why uh, I love you. Oh, Jim. <laughs> Oh my God! I, I love so people's sad. stories, and you have so many stories. I can't believe it. Oh, In fact, God, um, I could make a whole show of your stories. Yes, you could, but you haven't asked me yet. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's an um, idea. But... I think that's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> maybe next year. Maybe for an anniversary show. But I do think that, you know, given the circumstances of where we are right now. Um, it is it is it is important. Why do you think it's important, Catherine? What's your take on on the importance of storytelling? Well, I think for the story that I'm telling, the importance is to bring awareness to the 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 circumstances for our foster youth in in today's environment. There are so many challenges. There's food insecurities and housing insecurities and where am I going to get a job? Am I going to have enough um, money to get a job? And we've already talked about the access and affordability, affordability for college. But when I tell my story, I think that there's also a group of young people, or maybe not so young people out there, that want to have a family and have considered the, the foster experience but have never met anyone that has been a foster parent. So by by sharing our experience, both the good and the bad, I think it provides an opportunity to families or young people, married, unmarried, gay or straight, to say, you know what, I can be a parent too, and that there are organizations that will support me in this endeavor, and I can either foster and or um, eventually, hopefully, adopt. So I think telling stories can provide hope. I agree. And is, I, I don't know the answer to this, so this is now um, information, but you're not teaching it. Um, it's a foster program that, say, in Los Angeles, it's because it, it, it's county, correct? It's not city. It's a, it's a county program, or am I right or wrong about that? So our experiences have been that the county is responsible for all of the foster youth within the county, and then there are agencies that work on behalf of the county. So you could have county involvement and then an agency involvement. And are the agencies public or private? The agency that we worked with is a private agency. 
Got it. So there's both. So what I understand is there yes. are public and there are private um, agencies. And is that the same whether you're here or you're in New Jersey? Is it is it one and the same or Boston? Or does it go from county to county? I suspect most of the uh, welfare, welfare services for children are predominantly state and county driven. And then there are agencies to handle the work because there's so much that needs to be done. And that's why I think there are agencies throughout the country to help families become foster parents. That's, that's great. And I like what you said. There, there's no restrictions. Um, my friend that just uh, adopted um, this young man, he, the, he, the, the little boy is only 11 years old. My friend is a single, straight, 61-year-old man. And I thought, really? And it's like, well, yeah. He's able to be, he's been this boy's parent for the last two years, and he wants to be his parent forever. And I didn't, I, I was really happy to hear that. And is there a difference between being a foster parent and a guardianship? Is that is that something that's different? The guardianships, is my understanding, are predominantly um, a title given to family members, Okay. We, and we, that was the we, case. Uh, and then the foster parents are, are ones that have to go through this certification process. Got it. Okay. And and that is the case of in my situation that they were guard they were guardians. They were they were family members. But mm-hmm. I can see why you would say that that storytelling um um is important. Uh, Steve, let me ask you a question. Um because sure. I have a feeling I might know the answer to this. <laughs> Um, did you grow up in a storytelling family? Did you did, were stories passed along to you? Yes, I, th- I think that was the case. Uh, my parents <laughs> always always had great stories about their growing up and their extended families when they were growing up. They, they had very interesting backgrounds, and uh, and my dad had great stories being in the record business for many years. And uh, we we grew up um, surrounded by great storytelling. And I'm, I'm not the only one of the kids who has written a book. I have a younger brother who has published a book of short stories himself. So, no it, you know, it, uh, so it, it obviously had an influence on at least two of the three of us. And the middle brother hasn't published a book, but he's 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 very uh, literate and very uh, you know he, he can tell a good story too. So I think it's just something we we sort of always always enjoyed. It was always a part of us. We're all writers now. We all we all write in some way creatively. So oh, we're always trying to tell stories. That's really cool. And, you know, depending upon your own home life, I mean, my father was from a family of 11 siblings. Um, His um, parents um, started in Poland, Germany, got over to Canada, Canada into Duluth, and then had the rest of the children. My grandpa was a carpenter. I still have some of my grandpa's tools in my Wow. My garage, you know, I can pick up that. I can pick up um, an, an item, a, a purse, or a, a piece of jewelry, and there's a story. And what what now that we're also going to be so confirmed to uh, confined is the word I meant to say to our homes. I guess I would challenge all of you that are out there if you are self isolating, which I am and you are looking for something to do in Los Angeles, it looks like all we're going to do is have rain for the next week. Um, And if you're a sports fan like me and you can't watch a single sporting event on TV and you're getting tired of Netflix, wouldn't it be great 
to just pick something up right now, right this very moment. I am looking at two things in my office. I'm looking at a door, um, something that holds your door open, a doorstop that's a cat, and there's a lot of stories on where that has held doors open. And I'm looking at my husband, rest his sweetheart. The I lost my husband um, 11 years ago this oh. past Thursday. I'm looking at his University of Detroit 1969 Theta Tau mug. And inside wow. it... Inside it, oh, my God, you guys, and inside it is a letter opener that says it's from the National Fire Group. I don't even have a clue what year this was from, but I know it's from, I know it's from Duluth. It's, it's just amazing. If I'm a thing person, I have things. A lot of people have things. So Me why too. not write a story about the things because it will be passed on. If somebody's not interested toss it you know what do i care when i'm gone if you don't want to l- listen to this read the story then whatever you don't need to but i yeah. i i think that storytelling whether it's verbal which is what we're doing together whether it's on the stage and jim let's keep our fingers crossed that as things change and it will that maybe this spring summer whenever in that perfect you know um because you've been there i was it rob that you you've been there was it your friend that was there or was it you, Steve? No, that was Steve. 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 So you know yeah. that's right because your buddy was there. It's a perfect setting for um, small theater. So I, I really do hope that that's, that's able to happen. But in the, in the well, time remaining. Marcia, yep, you're up, yeah, Jim. Marcia, it will happen. Uh, I just don't know when. But, you know, I have to really give my real thanks and and appreciation to my storytellers because when I had to postpone the show I know that everybody was disappointed and they might have been discouraged but they came back to me and said I want to be in the show I'm still with you and uh, I can assure them that uh, we will have a stage and I'm not sure when that will be Uh, I still haven't gotten dates from the theater that it's available but it will happen this year in 2020 and uh, I'm so happy with that because the theme of my show is when the community hears the stories of the people, the community draws together. And I think the stories that you have heard today or the things that you've heard about the stories kind of confirm that. Uh, I know that there are two of the stories uh, in, in this year's show that bring me to tears. And, really? And uh, Catherine's is one of them. Uh, so every time I hear it, I just uh, my heart goes out to her and and uh, sort of breaks a little bit for her and wishes that things could be a lot better for those foster kids. That's that's a lovely that's a lovely thing for you to say. And I have also experienced that myself in being in the theater and hearing some of the stories, Jim, that you've been able to produce. Um, they really are, and people should understand the stories are very short. They're what they're eight to ten minutes, right? Is that is that about the range of the time? Yeah, roughly. Yeah, eight, uh, roughly. Eight minutes around is the goal. Let me put it this way: eight minutes is the goal, but you know sometimes you just can't squeeze a person's story into eight minutes. It won't fit in yes. that little box. No, but Marcia, it sure this won't. is Rob. Marcia, this yes, is Rob. Rob. He tries his darndest to get us to keep it to eight minutes. 
You know, Martha, this is this is Catherine. Yes, Catherine. So I'm I'm uh, I, I'm appreciate Jim talking about uh, the the story and and the emotion that I hope will draw. I am trying to drop my story from. 2,144 words to 1,500 yeah. words. And yeah. it is very difficult to talk about a four-year period of time in eight minutes and make sure that you're sharing the, the emotion and the highs and the lows or the gifts that we're talking about. And Jim has been really fabulous. And I think that's one of the yeah. things that, that has been so exciting for me about participating in this is really working on telling this story so I can be a better storyteller in, in other things that I'd like to share. Mm-hmm. I agree. This is Steve. And I wasn't, I wasn't told about the eight minutes. I was told 1,200 words. I think I came in at <laughs> oh, like, dear, it's getting worse. I, I think I came in at 1,350. <laughs> Oh my God! Do you have to count of, the buzz the, and the ants? <laughs> oh goodness! One of the great. Oh, I have to Martha. crack the whip uh, sometimes, but um, yes. I, I did want to say that uh, the, the the people who tell the stories um, often get as much out of it as the audience does because uh, there's something about telling your story that is so fulfilling and uh, I don't want to say therapeutic I want to say there's a healing that goes on and um, the people who hear your stories are encouraged to understand a little bit more about their community and understand that other people are living lives they have difficulties they have dreams uh, things happen to them uh, and they make things happen uh, and it's draws us closer together so that we understand each other a little bit better. You bet. It does it is a binder, isn't it, Jim? Um mm-hmm. just in the in, in the few minutes that we have remaining, um I, I I think it would be important to say that that we are being bound together as humans across this globe. And uh, I'm sure we all have our own stories regarding our health and well-being. I just mentioned that I'm, you know, self-isolating. Um, and just in just a couple of minutes each, let's let's start with you, Jim. Um, what does your new normal look like for you personally? Okay. Well, I'm in the high-risk group of older people, and so my wife Pat and I are staying at home uh we're trying to be good we but we uh we miss going out and it's it's interesting uh, how the four walls can close in on you we have to get out sooner or later and i hope people don't give us uh you know dirty looks when they see a couple old people tottering down the street because we got to get out of here well and I don't think the issue is so it's it's we we have a whole new language social distancing. I I don't think that somebody would say what's that old couple walking down the street holding hands for. Um what they might say is, you know, why are they standing in front of me in line? Excuse me, I just co- I did I meant to cover my sneeze, but it uh, it looks like I sneezed all over you, sir. So sorry. I think that that's that's more the concern, you know. Um, that's more the concern than than going out. You know, maybe maybe you and I aren't going to meet at um, you know the Olive Garden or someplace for lunch for the next couple of weeks because we're just not. And um, and but I I would like to think that some fresh air and 
by me walking over to LMU isn't going to be something that's that's bad for me, but I I do want to avoid being around other people, particularly based on where I've just recently come from. Catherine, what's your what's your new normal look like? Well, uh, I work from home, so my new norm is more at home, and I am uh, stir-crazy. I have been very involved in my community. I belong to some of the same groups that have been mentioned on the show, active uh, teaching courses throughout the community, and all of that has been canceled. So Mm -hmm. I am trying to replace that time by taking better care of myself. I have actually, because of all of the free time that's been made up, I'm on a 90-day video Facebook challenge. So I'm on day number six of posting a video with a little short story to educate families on college financial aid. Um, Make sure I get that from you, Catherine. I I would like to make sure that people... Absolutely. Oh, that that is... I'd love to share that with you. Thank you. Oh, so I'm gosh. trying to use that time wisely. But one of the things I think is, is what I have come to take away from is that despite all of this toilet paper and hand sanitizer hoarding, I am just so amazed and proud of, of our communities that have been reaching out to our older, older families, yes. our, our single yes. residents. My, I talked to my mom this morning, and she said, Everybody on the block has come and offered help, and she even said that she was joking that she thinks the neighbors are going to block her driveway so that my mom and dad can't get out and go get sick. But the, the gesture of community and support mm-hmm. is, is just been tremendous, and I, and I feel so grateful that while I don't live um, only 45 miles from my parents, I know that they are in a safe community and that they're being cared for, and I think that that, I hope, will stay and become our new norm as well. Oh, so well said. So well said. What about you, Rob? Well, you know, we, my wife and I are in the just the beginning of the high-risk group. We're not quite where Jim is, but we're, we're there. Mm-hmm. And um, we, are, we are planning on staying home. Uh, we have a little bit of land in, in the greater L.A. area. We have a third of an acre, so that's considered a little land. And we have a garden, and we're out there you know, putzing around and doing stuff, trying to get some fresh air. And, and we're anticipating the rain, which is fun to always be inside when that's coming down. But I think yeah. the, the sense of community, too. Um, you know, we walk our dog. We still walk our dog in the morning and the afternoon sometime. And, and we see people. We wave across the street, and everybody's glad to see the other person that they always used to see out there. Yes. And I think that gives me a good feeling that we're going to survive this. Everybody's yes. going to work their darndest not to get sick, but we also have to live our lives, too. Mm-hmm. Granted, we're not going to go sit in a movie theater or, unfortunately, be at a storytelling show, but mm-hmm. we also can get out and, and still have some social contact at a distance. Well, and that's the beauty of social media. Somebody said, oh, you know what, everybody, get off of Facebook or get off your social media. And it's like, are you kidding and I'm <laughs> I'm leaving the cuss word F off there because that's what we have. Now, not everybody does social media. Not everybody does a podcast. But if you can reach out to your friend in New Jersey just as well as you can reach out to your friend in the Bay Area or 
or Oregon and just say, how's it going? How, how'd your day go? Or this video thing that you're talking about, Catherine, connects us. I have friends all over the world. I, don't want, I want to still see their bird pictures in the U.K. I, I think that, that it binds us, and I don't want to give that up. What, what, what about you? Um, what about you, Steve? Uh, I go to a lot of business networking meetings and other types of meetings that are large groups of people in, in conference rooms or in restaurants or different places. And the last few days for us have all been trying to figure that out, how to do this by video conferencing so we don't have to meet in person. And in a way, it's kind of sad because it's all about connecting. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, um, we have to find ways now to connect on you know, video, uh, video chat rooms or, or video conferencing platforms like Zoom is a big one we're all using right now. Right. And right. Uh, it's changing our whole procedure of how we meet on a regular basis. And that's going to go for the group I mentioned earlier that Jim and Catherine are both in. That's our monthly North Redondo Beach Business Association. We're having a board meeting tonight by video conference to discuss yep. our future because our next meeting will probably be a video conference. And I just it's hard for me to imagine how that can be as effective as all of us being in a room together. But that room True. is no longer available to us. And in every case, almost every meeting I had scheduled this week has now been canceled and replaced by video conferencing. So. My Rotary Club, we meet, we meet, we have a Wednesday morning meeting, Zoom. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. um, it, it, it has to be that way. <laughs> Here's my thing. I play Mahjong. I'll oh, just my mother you, Steve. I, I, Steve, I knew you were going to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, um, anyway, we're not playing. I mean, we're not playing. Yeah. And so here's, here's, what I'm, here's, my, here's what my new normal looks like. I think that spring cleaning has just arrived a little early this year. And wouldn't yeah. this be the great time to say, hello, do you really need 46,000 plates? Maybe it's time to, to do your family a favor and just get down to just 1,000 as opposed to 42,000. You know, yeah. I'm obviously not going to any sporting events. Darn. You know, there aren't any to go to. Same with concerts. Okay. You know, no okay, so shows to here, go to at all. So here's here's my here's my new normal. I've been in Las Vegas for the last four days. I just got mm. home yesterday afternoon. I went there with my son, his wife. They live in Tucson. They both work for the University of Arizona. My nephew and his wife. They live in the Detroit area. We went there with the hopes of seeing the the Pac-12 tournament. It had an emotional connection because of my husband's passing on that anniversary day before the Pac-10 tournament when Arizona was supposed to play, and probably not a good decision, but a decision that we made. And so consequently, I feel very – maybe I'm just being – crazy as far as whether I feel like I'm personally at risk I probably am but I feel very responsible to not come in contact with anybody I feel like I'm a walking petri dish right now and I mean how much soap can we use how many gloves (laughs) can we wear you know I mean we're and we're learning every day please what's the difference between isolation and quarantine what does it mean do if is it on the money? Can I? Well, I want to wa- wash my laundry. Money, money la- laundering. Oh, that's that would make an interesting blog. Um, <laughs> that's right. You, they talked you, about your money having germs on it. My goodness. I yeah. Put it all in a box. My mother used to, to tell me that. She said, <laughs> yeah. "You wash your hands after you handle that money." 
Yeah. Put all your dollar bills in, in the envelopes and send them to me, and I'll wash them for you. <laughs> was that who was that? Was that you, Steve? Steve, yeah, that was Steve. It's, oh, somebody gosh, posted that on Facebook. Why? They made me laugh, so I thought, you know, sure. Well, you know, I, I think I think that there needs to be some laughter. I think that you know we we probably haven't seen this as bad as it might get here in the LA area because rain kind of keeps us in anyway. So you're right, you're not going to probably go to your favorite arc-like studio or uh, theater and watch a movie. But you know we all have the ability to put our TV on. Or those of you that like to read, uh, probably this is the perfect time to be reading a good book. But I just am so grateful, truly. Um, and, 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 Jim, you and I have a very special connection to doing this, um, that, that I can do this each week with people that have stories. And the stories, the irony of that being our topic at a time when people have their own personal stories, whether it's how long did you stand in line at Costco and did you get some toilet paper? Or, you know, I just wanted to go in and get some lettuce at Trader Joe's or I need to get some milk. You know, everybody has their own story to share to this subject. And I'm just grateful that you will put this production on, Jim, and I will certainly let our local people know about it once it's it's been rescheduled. For those of you that have also joined me today, I want to thank each and every one of you, for Rob and Catherine and Steve. You know, um, it's it's been a pleasure getting to know more about you. And um, when we get off the air, I'm going to have you send me some of those links so that I can include that in my blog so that people can learn more about the wonderful things that, that you guys are doing. I, I've just thank you. had a pleasure having each of you join me today, truly. It's been been fabulous. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for having us. It's it's yes. great. I can't I can't wait to meet meet each of you and and what's Jim, so we've mentioned a lot. I know that there are other that are other people that will be speaking, but what's the name of your um musician that's going to be playing? His name is Stanley Oropesa. And he's going and to be playing the accordion. Uh, he plays the accordion. He's also going to tell his story about how he got involved with the accordion. And Stanley nice. has a wonderful sense of humor, so I'm sure everybody will enjoy enjoy that as well as his music, which is great. Terrific. Well, I would say to all of you listening, you know, absolutely keep washing your hands. I don't know how successful, but show of hands, how many of you are keeping them off your face? Is that the hardest thing we've all had to do? <laughs> That's that's hey. the hardest thing. I never, I never realized how much I touched my face until this started. Oh, any, you wear glasses, <laughs> you're touching your face. You exactly. know, you wear contacts, you're touching your face. So you, have an itch. you know, you I scratch your face. You know, truly. So, I just wish everyone that's listening um, health, prosperity, and I look forward to meeting all of you uh, very soon. And I will let you get on with um, making your Zoom calls and all the things that you do to get back to work. And just thank you, each one of you, for for being a guest on my Born to Talk radio show today. Thank you. And so you're welcome. So goodbye, everyone. And uh, next week, I'm having this guy named Michael Levy on my show. He's an author. He's a world traveler. He's been gone. I cannot wait to hear what he has to say. And after that, I'm having a woman talking about the L.A. Food Bank. 
and you can imagine how important that is right now. So until next time, everybody, so long for now.